Brexit, a word that strikes fear into investors all around the world. It is particularly significant uh, if you visit London and you talk to investors and investment managers in the central London marketplace, which has become a real global hub of financial services and investment management around the world. Now, what they'll say is, over in Britain, is you only want someone with a British accent sharing and talking about Brexit if you really want to know the facts. I don't think that's exactly right. I think what's most important is having someone who's on the ground and who has access and contacts that allow them to understand the situation at a much deeper level and understand the impact that it has on investors, not just in Europe, not just in the United Kingdom, but in North America as well. I had the opportunity on a recent trip to London to sit down and speak with one of those individuals who specialized in politics and economics his entire life. David Riley is the partner and chief investment strategist at Blue Bay Asset Management in London. He is extremely well connected into what's going on inside government and politics in London and throughout the UK and Europe. And he had a real interesting angle in discussing Brexit and the possible implications for all investors around the world. I hope you enjoy it. David, welcome to, uh, to Personally Invested. Thank you very much. Looking forward to it. It's, uh, it's, it's great to have you here. Now, what, uh, unfortunately, because of the format, what people can't see, uh, we've just been discussing that you were on Bloomberg television this morning, uh, which is, uh, again, reflective of your, uh, your status in the industry, which we'll, we'll get to in a moment. Uh, but you've got, uh, you're saying you still have your makeup on. Uh, they, do, they do powder me quite a lot, actually. Um, and uh, listeners, if they do see a sort of photo attached to this podcast, will understand why um, I, my head can be quite reflective in the <laughs> TV uh, studio, studio light. So um, that sort of thing doesn't really matter in a podcast. Well, I think, I think so. you look fabulous. And, and I, I'm, I think it's unfortunate that we're not on video with this. But uh, <laughs> You're such a flatterer. Yeah. So, so you, uh, you're, you're here at Blue Bay and, and, uh, and I've, spent, I've had the, the privilege of spending a, a good part of this week here in, in London uh, with you and, and the team. Uh, how, what got you here and how did you get into, into, into the investment space to begin with? It's a bit of a long story. The, I've always had uh, a passion for economics and politics and if you have that passion, it, takes you into financial markets. I mean, I'm extraordinarily privileged, frankly, to work for uh, an institution like Blue Bay, where I get paid to do stuff that I'm really interested in and to debate the issues uh, of, of the day, uh, both on the political side, on the economics, um, and of course, you know, express uh, that, those views and analysis to deliver value to, um, to, to our clients. But I um, trained as an economist. I have a first degree and, and, and a master's degree in economics uh, from University uh, of, of London. I spent 10 years actually in public service. That included working at Her Majesty's Treasury, so that's the ah, British yes. uh, Finance Ministry. And um, I spent time working in the International Finance Directorate there advising British ministers on... Uh, G7, IMF, uh, European uh, issues, 
and also in terms of uh, debt negotiations and debt restructuring. So uh, I remember spending um, many long hours uh, into the early hours of the morning in Paris at the French uh, Treasury uh, negotiating the restructuring of former Soviet Union uh, debt with other G7 colleagues, including from uh, Canada. Um, at that time, I was a middle-ranking official and I was Again, there's you know, several billion um, uh, pounds worth of uh, debt owed to the UK from uh, the former Soviet Union, which yes. is basically export credits. Yeah, uh, and this is a huge uh, response, uh, huge responsibility with the delegation. And then, as we went round the um, table, uh, sort of realised actually that Germany was owed about forty billion. Um, <laughs> so I could largely leave it to the Germans to uh, yes. strike a good deal and. Uh, uh, the Germans are pretty good at striking, um, uh, pretty tough when it comes to uh, debt negotiations. And then after leaving um, the, the, the Treasury, um, I spent some time, uh, U, a short period of time at UBS Investment Bank, and then um, I led and developed the uh, uh, global uh, sovereign ratings team at uh, Fitch Ratings. So country risk and emerging markets, something I've always uh, very much enjoyed. Uh, going to uh, places like Ashgabat, which is the capital of Turkmenistan. Yes. Um, as you can imagine, as a as, as a sort of credit uh, analyst, you know, first thing you want to know is how much debt do you owe? And the response I received from a senior official was, uh, I'm afraid I can't tell you that because it's a state secret. And I thought, <laughs> I've, we've flown a very long way um, and we're not getting very far if you wouldn't even tell me how much uh, uh, debt uh, that, that, that you have. And then um, I was very much, a, I, was, I was very much interested, um, having a lot of interaction with uh, investment managers as well as uh, end investors. Um, I knew Blueberry. Uh, from its reputation uh, in, in, in London and more broadly across uh, Europe and an opportunity arose to be chief investment strategist and I thought this is fantastic that they're uh, willing to take a seasoned veteran, uh, it's maybe the polite way, um, on in, in, in this role and they think that I can add value and I'm still here uh, almost six years later so... I think that means that I am adding some some value. So it, it's 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 interesting having having again uh, been been spending time with with a lot of your colleagues here at, at Blue Bay this week. When I when I talk to people here, I would say one of the characteristics that I, I you just feel it in the environment is that passion for what people are doing here. What do you think it is about Blue Bay that just seems to have brought so many passionate people together around their their individual area of expertise? Uh, into what they do. There is a really strong and challenging culture, actually, at Blue Bay. And it's about sharing insights, sharing expertise, um, having a diversity of perspectives across uh, the firm and across the investment floor. And that actually makes it very exciting. And because the focus as an active specialist fixed income manager, we don't do anything else. That's what we do. Um, our range is from, you know, active long only to long short to um, hedge funds. So it's all about delivering investment performance. It's all about delivering value um, to uh, our clients. 
But with that focus, within that focus, um, with the range of people that we have, it's just a very exciting and dynamic place to uh, be working. It it genuinely is a a pleasure as well as a a privilege where uh, with the assets that we manage across emerging markets, across uh, global fixed income and uh, credit, that we have, uh, you know, these pretty challenging debates internally and using a range of um, insights from policymakers and other networks uh, that we uh, draw upon to then you know, deliver that um, performance. And you just get a real buzz and good feeling from it. And, it, and, and therefore that, that culture, I think, feeds through. There's a lot of you know, intellectual uh, curiosity and willing to uh, learn and you know, recognition that we don't always get things right by that's the nature of the business that we're in uh but then okay we move on from that let's learn let's try and do it better next time let's minimize um you know where we've made uh where we've made an error or the world changed in a way that we didn't um expect and it's just a lot of fun with a lot of fun people. Yeah, no, you you, you feel it when you're here. It, it, it really is incredible. And I, I mean, I, I think uh, as an investor myself, that if I was investing, that is what I, my expectation would be of, of the firm that I'm, I'm entrusting my money to, that you have that, that passionate group coming together, challenging each other uh, and really striving for results. Because that's ultimately the end of the day what we Absolutely. need to produce as, as, as investment managers. So uh, the, if, we, if we talk about passion for politics and economics, we are taping this in London, England on March 28th. Yes. So for someone like I know you, where this is going, there must be nothing more exciting than Brexit and everything that's going on there. It, for a Canadian audience from a... Uh, an, an English perspective, what do we make of all this? Well, let me take the opportunity maybe just to step back a little bit and say that what I do think Brexit, you know, populist governments within uh, uh, continental Europe, uh, I do think the um, you know election of Donald Trump as uh, US president, that it's part of... I think an important theme and change of uh, populism, uh, less predictable uh, policies. I think that means more sort of interventionist uh, governments uh, and states uh, in markets as well as in broader uh, economies. Uncertainty over things like um, things like a trade policy as well. So I think Brexit has been very interesting in that respect because it's. It's, I think, important to see it in that context. And one of the things we've done um, at, the, at the firm, at Blue Bay, is to invest more in developing our sort of network of uh, political and policy uh, contacts, use a much broader range of uh, tools to garner intelligence, not relying on, dare I say, the uh, mainstream media. Now, to, to your question, <laughs> yeah, yes. I know I'm, I'm, I'm sort of... <laughs> tiptoeing around it uh, a little bit uh, uh, in terms of uh, Brexit. We, it's self-evident, I mean, we're really reaching a crunch point now. Um, Parliament, in quite extraordinary, really, has wrest control from uh, the executive 
um, you know, the, the British parliamentary system is really an elected dictatorship. Once you have the yes. uh, a, a election, then the executive with a majority in parliament really can do almost whatever it likes. There's no, there's very little constraints. As you know, there's no written constitution. Um, we're now in this extraordinary situation where the government has even lost control over the agenda within parliament. So as we speak, they're looking at different options um, to uh, Prime Minister Theresa May's uh, deal that she ne negotiated with the um, European Union. Ultimately, I do think that we're most likely to end up with a further extension. So I'm afraid to say that Brexit will continue, continue. Um, beyond um, the current deadline, which is um, April 12 um, uh, through the remainder um, of this year. But I also do think that uh, markets right now are probably a little bit too complacent about the risk of a no deal, which is a tail risk, but not insignificant. And I think that would have certainly a big impact for the UK uh, economy for sterling assets, but I think would have spillover effects as well, both into Europe and potentially uh, more widely, at least in the um, short term. And also the prospect of uh, another general election um, within the UK as, as, as well. So it is, you know, one of the, it, so it is extraordinarily interesting going down to um, House of Commons when meeting um, MPs. Uh, I have to say that's one aspect where you do spend time with um, politicians um, and you find actually when you've come out of the meeting that actually you're less informed and less clear about what's going to happen <laughs> in the future than more informed yes. and more confident about um, what is going to happen in the future. But from uh, our perspective where we do have um, sterling assets and sterling exposure in our portfolios, We've been looking um, at where we can get, where we think cheap insurance to preserve the capital of our um, uh, clients and also to see where there's opportunities to, to make money for our clients uh, as well. So, so from, a, from an investor perspective, what action do you think investors should be taking or, or, or should it be a case of, of kind of inaction and just letting things play out and, 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 and how fearful should investors be about uh, about where this could go? I do think that it's very um, dangerous, if you like, and certainly you have to be a very brave investor to um, sort of trade the news flow um, sure. around Brexit, given uh, the uh, level of uncertainty that we have and the, and, the, and the different options that are open to the UK. Because, of course, we have various factions within parliament we have the uk government itself uh, which may or may not survive this process and of course there's the european union involved in this negotiating uh, process as as well what i do think is that um at the moment the market is pricing sort of a five to ten percent risk of a um of of, of a no deal uh, Brexit. If there was a no deal, then sterling would clearly fall pretty dramatically, I think. Yes. I think it goes sub 120 against the US dollar to parity um, against the uh, euro. So uh, one of the things that we've been doing, at least as investors, that where we have some, for example, UK uh, credit in our portfolios, 
we think that sort of five to ten percent chance that's being priced is somewhat low. So we do think there's some cheap insurance by having an option um, to uh, uh, benefit from uh, a fall in the value of um, sterling, even though it's not our base case that there is a uh, no deal um, outcome. Uh, there are some opportunities actually in um, sterling credit. I think for investors, there's been some repricing. Uh, there is some Brexit premium. So if there is a softer Brexit or a transition, a longer sort of transition period or extension period, um, or even no Brexit, can't be um, wholly ruled out, then I think there is some value for um, investors there as well. And then finally, um, there's you know UK government uh, bonds, very much dominated by local, you know, UK institutional um, uh, investors. Uh, but nonetheless, the UK has effectively got negative uh, real interest rates for uh, an economy that's running a pretty large trade deficit and does need to attract um, overseas savings to fund itself. So in response to your question, Dave, about, you know, the, the worst case um, outcome, then I do think that if there was a no deal, it would be very severe impact on the uh, UK economy. Sterling would fall off very dramatically. And although UK government bonds would rally in the short term, I do think that you'd start to get some kind of risk premium coming into um, sterling assets and, and pushing guilt yields So, so how, how much growth would it take out of the, the, the UK and European economy? In, in the event of a sort of no deal exit which would be actually on april the 12th yes um and where the there's still been relatively limited um preparations then the disruption to the integrated supply networks have built up over the last 30 40 years um i think would push the uk economy into uh recession so the uk economy is currently growing at around about sort of one and a half percent yeah, yeah. so yeah not great, but not terrible either. Sure. Um, so I think pretty quickly we, the UK would go into, you know, minus one, minus two percent um, uh, growth uh, within a fairly short uh, period of time. The UK economy would adjust and adapt, uh, but I think the recovery would be um, uh, quite slow. And I think in that environment as well, we'd have more uh, political uh, uncertainty. Even under a no-deal Brexit, the UK still has to negotiate trade arrangements with its yes. nearest and largest trading neighbour. So the idea that you know a no-deal means no negotiation is, in my view, um, untrue. Um, I think for the European economy, uh, which is already relatively fragile, I mean, growth is less than 1% yeah, right now, um, so, I mean, it would shave, you know, 0.2, 0.3 percentage points off that growth rate for countries like Ireland, clearly, which has got, a, you know, for historical reasons, huge amount of exposure um, to tra trade relations with, with the UK, then that would be um, uh, more severe, but also, you know, countries like uh, the Netherlands um, as well. And I think what it would also mean is that uh, you'd see a further leg down or a further rally in um, global government uh, bonds. Yeah. You know, one of the features we've seen 
this year, I mean, maybe it's one of the defining features, I think, of the first quarter of this year has just been how we've seen this huge rally in government bonds because of the decline in uh, government bond yields and expected uh, interest rates. And I do think that a sort of no-deal Brexit um, would actually, you know, provide another sort of leg uh, lower in, in, in global yields because it's, although the UK economy is a relatively small uh, economy, nonetheless, I think it would be, uh, um, you know, an unexpected shock at a time when, as we've discussed, Europe is looking quite fragile and people are concerned about global growth and global trade. And, and so that that's kind of the worst case scenario in terms of the, the, the impact on, on the UK in particular, but, but Europe as well. And and obviously, you, you, you focused on, on Ireland. What is the most likely outcome from, from your perspective? I think the most likely outcome is that the UK will Parliament will adopt a uh, framework which would be one where there would be a closer relationship with the European Union, including entering into a permanent customs union um, arrangement and a closer uh, sort of tracking, if you like, of EU single market rules, not least because not only the financial services sector, but the manufacturing sector, much of which um, is from Japan and, and elsewhere, has really been integrated into the European supply chain and to serve the broader um, European market. So if, if, if Parliament over the next uh, few days it uh, is able to coalesce around um, a sort of softer Brexit outcome, uh, then I do think that the European Union will then agree to uh, an extended transition in order to um, you know, negotiate the uh, details of that. That being said, uh, one could not discount in that, even in that scenario uh, that the current government would face a, note, a vote of no confidence from from sort of uh, prompted by those in opposition to a softer Brexit. Um, and so there could be um, uh, another general election, which would be another source of uncertainty. But if we, if, if we, if we take that, you know, an extended uh, further extension to the uh, sort of negotiation process, which means the UK remaining within the uh, European Union for the foreseeable future, then I think there's some upside to um, uh, sterling, I think there will be a, a relief rally yeah. um, in in the value of the of the pound, um, and I do think that um, you know gilt yields, uh, government UK government bond yields would, would move somewhat higher, and uh, we'd see a bit of tightening in terms of credit spreads on um, things like uh, UK banks, which you know do you know would. Um, you know, suffer to some degree as a result of uh, certainly a, a worst-case scenario of a no-deal um, Brexit. But, but it sounds like, most likely, uh, we'll be back in about three months doing another podcast uh, talking about uh, where we are at that point and, 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 and where we're going because this is, is really far from settled. Uh, absolutely. Uh, that was actually much more uh, concise and pithy than m- my response. You're absolutely right that this is going to be, I think, the most likely outcome is there's going to be an ongoing um, process. And uh, amazing though it may sound to uh, many of those listening, this is about negotiating the withdrawal of the UK from the U- European Union. 
the UK and the EU haven't really got into a discussion yet about what the new arrangement will, will, exactly. will actually be. So um, the best that one can hope for is that there's, if you like, an orderly end to the beginning of Brexit. It's not yet the end of the uh, Brexit process. So that's, so that's great. So we'll, we'll book another discussion for a okay. couple of months out. I look forward and, to that. And I'd also like to dig in, because one of the other things you said that was really interesting is a dig in on this, on this uh, what, what's happening with, with populism yep. uh, in the UK, in Europe, and obviously in, in the United States, and, and, and the longer-term impact of that and the, and the disruption that that caused. I think that would be a, a, yeah, a fascinating discussion. Yes. So, David, thanks again for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you very much, David. Thank you for listening to Personally Invested. If you have suggestions for future podcasts, please email us at rbcgampodcasts at rbc.com.